Guys, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you didn't draw a hunt this year, don't worry. There are still ways to get a tag and get out in the field. Not only are there leftover and OTC opportunities, but if you join GoHunt.com Insider with promo code JSCOTT by August 31st, 2021, you're also going to be entered to win $1,500 worth of Kuyu gear. You also are going to get 10 entries into GoHunt's Big Summer of Elk giveaway where you could win a 2022 New Mexico elk hunt and $15,000 in hunting gear. Go Hunt Insider is the one platform for finding great hunts, researching new units, e-scouting, and planning your hunt. Now, an added incredible value at no extra cost are desktop maps and maps available on iPhone and Android. Again, this is no extra cost. It's part of being an Insider member. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity. Sign up at GoHunt.com forward slash Scott and get a $50 GoHunt Gear Shop gift card just by using the JSCOT promo code. And also, don't forget, you're going to be entered into a drawing to win $1,500 worth of Kuyu gear. I also want to thank the Gear Shop at GoHunt.com and Cody Nelson, my friend of 20 plus years, the glassing guru. Don't forget, if you order on GoHunt.com or you call or text Cody at 602-399-3699, you're going to get a 10% discount by using the J. Scott promo code. You can also call the shop directly at 702-847-8747 or email at optics at gohunt.com. I want to thank GoHunt for their sponsorship of this podcast. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting for sponsoring this podcast. That is the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. You can go to kuiu.com. To order directly off the website. They're a direct-to-consumer company. They make the best hunting gear on the market today. Also, phonescope.com. Use the jscott21 promo code. You're going to get a 10% off on all orders at phonescope.com. Guys, thanks for listening, and let's get right to this episode. There he is. You better plug the phone in. Be smart this time. Yeah, can you hear me? Uh, someone was saying they couldn't hear me. I must have had my uh, earphones on mute. Yeah, it, you, you just came through just now. So, yeah, that's probably what it was. Okay, awesome. I'm excited to have you on again. We had so much uh, people were excited about our last one. We figured we'd do another, and we had uh, a bunch of questions. So I'm excited to have uh, a bunch of people on here. Um, yeah. Guys, feel free to put your questions in here, any questions you have of Chris and I. Uh, in regards to elk hunting, uh, but as well as anything else, uh, also we'll answer everything. And um, so I'm looking forward to it. Chris, you were just on your own uh, channel um, doing Instagram Live. What were you guys talking about? Just did, just exactly what we did last time, just testing my connection, making sure Wi-Fi was working since the last. Obviously, I'm sitting in my truck. Uh, the Wi-Fi at the hotel was not working, so I had to bail and scramble around try to find – a figure some free wi-fi i could scab off of so i'm i'm technically so all you firefighters shut the hell up i'm parked in a fire lane <laughs> behind uh walmart <laughs> scabbing off of free, free wi-fi we're gonna get to see we're gonna get to see chris get towed right here live on instagram live <laughs> there's a lot of um, there's a lot of red paint around me and, and a lot of red you know valves and wheels and and fire hydrants and stuff so we'll we'll see if i get to sit here for very long 
if we hear a knock on the door, we'll know exactly what it is. Um, you know, one exactly. of the things that's that's interesting that I don't even know is, um, are we able to conduct these just on LTE? That's a question. Maybe someone knows the answer to. I don't know the answer. I think you can if your if your signal's really really good. The problem is, is for me, we don't. I don't have like AT and T or or uh, Verizon. We went with Straight Talk because where we're at, where we live. You can go from one county road to the next, and over here, Verizon works better, and over there, AT&T works better. So by going our provider, we can bounce off of any other tower we're on. The problem yeah. is we're low man on the totem pole. So our the amount of connectivity we have is highly variable, and I think that kills it for a, for a live or anything like this. So it's just yeah. better to go with uh, it's just better to go with the Wi-Fi. Chris, I'm going to go through. I do see a couple questions here before we dive into it. Um, we've got uh, how much uh, will a mature bull's antlers grow? Um, I can tell you from following bulls at the Ot Six Ranch, it totally depends on feed. It depends on age. You know, depends on a lot of different factors, um, as well as you know, guiding in Arizona for 20 years on public land. Um, easily, a bull can put on 30 inches uh, easily. Uh, in the right conditions, in his correct or the right age cycle, depending on where he's at, um, can put on 30 inches pretty pretty easy. I've seen bulls that go from, you know, 350 to 380. I've seen bulls that go from 300 to, you know, maybe even 340. So, I mean, 30, 40 inches is, is pretty easy. Um, question, a uh, follow-up is that how much will a bull, uh, and Chris, weigh in here, how much will a mature bull's antlers grow during their, their last month of growth um, with average moisture and feed, not much. Um, I yeah, think there's no, a, I think there's a point when they're just going like crazy, and about the last two weeks is when virtually none, and then the two weeks prior to that, they can still, you know, go pretty good. But I would say they're going to do more in that two months prior to them shedding their velvet. So I mean, typically, uh, you know, that that month of June. Uh, and, and the first part of, of July is kind of um, what I think they're going to grow the most antlers. Chris? Yeah, no, so for both of those, yeah, so the older the age class of the animal, the longer uh, that they actually grow their antlers. So the younger bulls, if you think about it, they drop their antlers really, really late, but yet they're hard-horned just like everybody else's. So they have a very short window of growth, but that's just biologically, physiologically, they just don't grow as long. Mature bulls, can grow there was 150 to 200 days something roughly like that but no the answer yeah and the answer is yeah those last 30 days the the vast majority of growth it, it well the vast majority of growth is done what they're doing is mineralizing all of that bone so you can tell if they're going to throw more inches by looking at the tips of the antlers if the tips of the antlers are very very rounded and almost they like a gray or a dark gray, or sometimes they're a shiny black. That's because all the blood vessels are at that tip, and it's just it's just growing like crazy. Is long if it starts to if the tips start to get really pointy and it's just tan uh, velvet like the rest of the antler, that tip is done growing. All it's doing now is just it's he's just pumping minerals and he's turning that entire rack into bone. Most of the time in August, that's all they're doing. They're they're just throwing mineral into that into that set of antlers. They're not growing any structure whatsoever. 
So, hey guys, I got to take a break here and show you what's going on. Hopefully, you can see this. Can you see that little mutt down there? What is she? She's taking? been the whole time you're talking. She's over here rubbing and rolling, and she's like acting like a bull elk <laughs> over here. Um, of course, when I pull the camera up, she stops doing it. But if you hear what, it's me and Poppy and Chris here uh, on the Instagram live. Um, Chris, uh, the, most of the bulls, uh, or let's say the earliest I got reports uh, already this year was August 8th. Uh, the bulls in Unit 9, Monty let me know he had already seen some bulls rub. Um, yep. and, and they kind of rub at different stages depending on their age class. Um, but this is what I'm yeah, doing and when, and, here, guys. And, this is, and, this when, and especially when they start. <laughs> Jay, that's why I tell you, this time of year, you cannot be peeing on the floor everywhere. She's just, like, just, she's just, digging to China or something down there. I don't know what she's doing. Hopefully she's not interrupting. But um, would you agree, though, that the, the older bulls are going to rub first, the younger bulls are going to rub? A lot yeah. of times they're going to rub later. Um, yeah, but they're going to rub yeah. any time from that eighth till about that twenty twentieth, twenty fifth. Sometimes I've well, we've seen spikes in little real young bulls uh, still. You know, in September when bulls are bugling, they still have their velvet. And and I've actually watched bulls rubbing uh, velvet off at the end of July before, and it, it really does. It's it, you know when did they drop? There's a I've got a video um, that I talked. Well, heck, it was a part of a podcast. I I talked about the antler cycle and and how it starts, and, and it's interesting to see the feedback loop that you can get based on good trophy management of your herd high bull to cow ratio, because antler shedding is hormone related and they fall off once the testosterone drops below a certain amount well that testosterone will drop due to photo period but as long as there's sexual stimulation through the fall that artificially holds that testosterone high they'll extend that date on when they drop their antlers so if if all the cows come in and breed and there's a, a very tight breeding pulse and there's no more breeding done those mature bulls break off that group. Well, they're done breeding. That testosterone input, you know, drops faster than it does those younger age class. Usually, you'll see them the older age class drop first, which means they get to start earlier than the right. other guys do. And it's a it's a fixed window. It's a it's a set number of days that typically dictate how many you know how how many days of growth that particular animal is going to grow. Now. What he manifests is going to be completely based on what his body condition was coming out of the winter, how much resources does he have, and then his summer feed that he's got available to him. But he's got a fixed amount of time that he's got to grow. doesn't matter what happens in there. He, if it's going to be 150 days, he's going to grow for 150 days. But that last 30 days you know, to three weeks is all going to be mineralization of what he threw up there. So, yeah. Chris, we've got a question here. Um in regards to the moon, uh, we've got a question here, full moon, and I was just pulling that up. Uh, I believe it's on the 20th. It might be on the 17th. Who cares? Doesn't matter. All right, let's talk about that. Um, <laughs> let's talk about that. Why doesn't it Go matter? Out and hunt. Go out and hunt. It, because there's a lot of people, you've got two different schools of thought. You know, you, you've got two different things that people talk about with the moon. Does it affect the rut? They'll say, does it affect the rut? But what people are talking about in there is you've got two different things. Is it, is it 
and I, we've talked about this, I, I don't know how many times, um, does it affect hormone cycling? No. There's, I mean, there's, there's enough research out there now that has shown that, no, it doesn't affect hormone cycling in cows. It does not trigger the rut. It doesn't do anything of the sort. Um, but does it change daily activity cycles? Yes. Maybe. It, yeah, yes. I mean, it de- 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 depending, de- <laughs> if, if we're talking about... We're talking about a large private ranch that has almost no uh, disruption in, you know, there, there's no pressure on those elk. You go to Rocky Mountain National Park, they're doing every, it, it's just 24-7. They don't care. Moon is, oh, is is really not a big deal. You go to an over-the-counter unit that's got major heavy pressure, okay, now we're, now, yes, can you see a little bit more nocturnal activity? Yes, you can. But right. the elk are still there. They're still going to be vocal. They're still going to be in they're, they're still going to respond to calls. The only thing that I do when I'm dealing with it, and I don't even talk about a full moon, I'm talking about a bright moon phase. So from that, that half moon to full moon to half moon, that's bright at night. But as the moon is rising, it's going to be brighter earlier and later in the in the early evening as it's full moon it's going to be bright all night long and then as that moon is getting smaller it's going to be brighter longer into the morning and so you just have to adjust when you you know if the elk are already and and this is the thing is i don't really give two rips about the moon because like jay you and i've talked about even in unit nine where you've got mass i mean tons of elk great age class you can get out in the middle of nowhere i mean there's a lot of people don't get me wrong and they can be pressured but even there even when the moon is not in play you're still wanting to get out there one two hours before it even sliver of daylight so no i keep my schedule the exact same maybe i'll anticipate the you know the hope to have a little bit more activity you know, at certain, you know, in the evening on one side or the morning on the other side, but I'm going to take advantage of if the elk are out there at night and they're talking, well then get your butt out there and listen to them and follow them and figure out where they are and then get a game plan for the next day. They might be in their bedding areas earlier than yeah. usual, but okay. Get, if the wind is good, those midday hours can be phenomenal. But you, yeah. I don't change a thing that I'm doing with my calling. I don't change a thing that I do with my strategies. All I do is I just adjust where those elk are at the, t- you know, so just get out there and hunt. Go. One thing I would say about the moon being full on the 20th is the fact that they have already had a chance to kind of get into it. And they've already kind of started going and rutting and, and bugling and getting into their, their routine. I have seen when the full moon is at the beginning, when they should be just starting to kind of get going, I've seen it make the hunt very, very slow because they're kind of just getting into it. There's a full moon and it makes them daylight pretty lackadaisical. So I, I, while I do agree with you on you have to just change your tactics and it doesn't really necessarily matter, they're still going to be there, you can still work them. I have seen it when they're when they are yet to kind of get going that it makes it extra slow. Okay, here's so, and here's when when people are limited to seven days, that's when they're looking at it going, you know, I might go sure. when there's better daytime activity. Yeah, and and I understand that. If you have the flexibility to do it and you can plan then then okay, maybe. Um, 
And the reason why what you're saying, Jay, uh, what you've seen is that's absolutely the case. Uh, I've always said that the full moon basically enhances whatever behavioral stage they are in. Because if I and I, I haven't re, I haven't looked at it in a while, I think it's the serotonin. But yeah, the the moon can the 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 brighter light in the evening is going to change some of the hormones that they're dealing with but basically it just it doesn't change ester cycling what it does is change that 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 activity level you know so if they're getting ramped up a full, full moon will kick them in the pants and they'll be here we go but if they're not if they're late you know and here's the thing is it you know People always say, oh, well, should I go with the full moon? I would rather not. Look. I don't care about the full moon. Tell me what the pressure cycle is going to be during that week. Are we going to have high pressure? Are we going to have low pressure cycle weather systems coming in? That's going to change the behavior way more than what a moon phase does. So if you've got a pressure cycle coming through there that changes it, and yeah, no, it. So do you like high pressure for more activity and more consistent activity no, or low I, pressure? Right now, I'm I'm torn because I've been seeing both, but I've 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 tried to been paying attention to it. Um, I like having the change in pressure. I have not seen consistent activity at a high pressure, and I have not con- seen consistent activity at low pressures. It seems when you get those changes in those pressure cycles, it seems to be a little bit better. I mean, I remember again. There's another video on the uh, elk module. Here I am on the fence line in Unit 9 on the fence line of Grand Canyon National Park on September 27th. Which and side I just of the let fence? The, doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just sitting there. I'm, the camera was rolling. And I, did. I, just, I just sat there with the camera rolling. I said, just listen to this. And it was just all you could hear was the crickets. I mean, there was nothing. And, and you know how the park is. I mean, the park is like Rocky Mountain National Park. There, there should be bulls in there just going nuts, screaming. September 27th, not a peep. But we had just low pressure after low pressure after low pressure that just kept coming through there. You couldn't buy a bugle. It was just brutal. But it's when, it seems as though it's when those changes are happening where it's a little bit better. Whitetails, it's interesting. Whitetails seem to be a little bit different. It, it, there's a really good... Uh, at least where I'm at, and I've heard this from someone else before, where they say when the temperature and the pressure meet, that's when you want to be out in the field. So if you put your temperature graph on the top, and then you put your barometric pressure graph underneath it, as your temperature is dropping or bottoming out, if you have a ridge of high pressure right there to where those those two just kind of come up and meet, you had better be in your ground blind, you better be in a tree stand, because the deer are going to be just moving. That is, abs- I will absolutely, for all my hunts and my personal hunt and all my hunters, I will look at that hard. But for elk, man, it seems it seems there's there's just different factors in play. But no, the, the barometric pressure absolutely affects it much more than the moon does, in my opinion. Next question. Chris, you hike in a couple hours before sunrise often. Are you using a white headlamp light or red-green? <laughs> yeah, just... If you have a white lamp, okay, no, I, I won't even joke about that because it's it. No, 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 no. Do not put a, do not, do not, do not, do not use a white headlamp. Jeez, OP, you could see that for, my, I mean, like literally miles. I mean, you could be on the top of the mountain. I can tell you right now how many times that I'll be up, I, I will be 
in the valley, up on the ridge, in a staging area where I should be able to hear elk. And I know when everybody's coming up the trail because here come the white headlamps. And they're, they're many, many hundreds of yards down the trail in the timber. Here come the white headlamps looking. And, you know, the same thing with green. People say all the time, oh, green doesn't ruin your, your uh, uh, night vision. Doesn't matter. You can see green from a long distance away. Now, we can have a discussion whether elk see green or not. But they darn well see white. And I can tell you, in pressured areas, you if they get used to people coming up the ridge or coming up a main pack trail, and that white headlamp starts going, they'll just peel right off to the side. They're like, nope, we're out. So if 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 I use a headlamp, and this is one I've been criticized, I, I usually have pretty good night vision. If I use a headlamp, it's always a red lens if I'm going to be coming up into elky areas if i get down in, into a place where there's just no elk and it's a very technical part of the trail i might kick my you know headlamp on my white light on but i'm going to cover it up with my hands so it's just a barely enough white to where i can see detail but no do not hike in with a white light i don't even like the green light if you have to hike in use a, a red light what's that i was just taking your picture oh <laughs> getting, <laughs> next getting question animated. Northern Alberta this year, we got Chris on a good day here. Northern Alberta this year, we are setting records for how dry it is. Past 10 years, wallows I've hunted have four-foot thistle this year. My plan is to solely find any water sources uh, that can be good. Anything else I can do to help this year how dry it is? Find the feed. Where's the best? Where's the? Even though there, you don't have water that's daylighted, are there places in, in the area that you hunt that have higher soil moisture than other places? Because if you can find a little, if it has a little bit higher soil moisture, I would assume, depend, I don't know your habitats, but you, if you're talking up northern Alberta, I'm going to guess the vast majority of the grasses and forbs that you're dealing with there are, are going to be cool season grasses which means they're probably going to respond a little bit better to higher soil moisture. So that's what I would be. He's right. Find the water. And then the next part after that is, okay, find the water and then find those little cool dark pockets. And where are those little pockets of better forage versus everywhere else? Okay. Next question. How far do uh, most bulls travel once they shed their velvet? completely habitat dependent so i've seen bulls that stay in the same spot all summer they summer right there and they shed their velvet right there and they stay right there and then i've seen bulls in arizona that shed their velvet and they go 30 miles they're in unit 10 and they go to seven west they're in seven west they go to unit nine they go from unit nine to unit like they're just go um and, and quite honestly you know and there's uh, research that i just was reading a paper the other day that was saying that they actually well it was from starkey they actually we're looking at movement of, of different densities and yeah even in high density areas where the forage quality decreased quicker there was a lot more commingling of bulls versus cows than there was when you had a low density and there was really good forage across the landscape once there's really good forage they can segregate they could there it's just they get more chance to do whatever the hell they want so it really depends on the the density of elk you're dealing with, the forage quality of, that you're dealing with, and the habitats that you're dealing with. 
Uh, Chris, still love the Hyperlip double, or do you have a new favorite? And also let them know you don't just blow the double, because I see you blow both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, the double, the only time I use the double is when I'm using, uh, when I want to accurately reproduce an assembly mu. Um, so 90% of my calling is with an open read style call, but I'm going to use a Steve Chappell, uh, matriarch. That's my favorite. And then the Steve Chappell, uh, trophy wife, that's my second favorite. And then if have I you, need to, have you tried the heartbreaker? No, not yet. Not yet. Really good. Is it good? Really is good. It? It's got, it's got a lot heavier barrel. It's like, I don't know if it's me- some sort of metal. I don't know if it's aluminum or what it is, but it's, it's heavy feeling to your hand and it's, it's nice. I mean. Um, I just got a, I got a couple get trophy one, wives and a couple of um, heartbreakers, and this heartbreaker's sweet. Um, but I do love the matriarch. But uh, tell them the assembly mew, um, why you use the double. Well, the double is just it, it's because you've got two real thick reeds. You got two reeds, number one, and they're both thick. Uh, it's it gives you such a much deeper tone, more mellow tone to it. Uh, it really does accurately represent a or. or uh, imitate the sound vocal signature of a mature cow doing that vocalization. I've got a video on the website that shows a cow giving that assembly mew, calling her calf to come in to nurse. And you can literally play, you can play her, and then you can grab, especially if you have that, the uh, hyperlip double with the tone converter in place. Uh, the tone converter in place, it, it basically, it's, a, it's a, uh, a rubberized plastic, I don't even know what you call it. We, it snaps over the back end of the call. It builds back pressure on that call, which helps the reeds break a little easier, so you don't need as much lip or air pressure. But it also tones it down to where it makes it sound like what a cow sounds like when she puts all of her... Because uh, a cow can vocalize with her mouth open, or she can vocalize with her mouth closed and send it all through her nasal cavity. Well, when she does that, it's going to change that vocal signature a little bit. The hyperlip double with that tone converter does both those things just so accurately. You can literally play a cow doing the assembly mute, and then you can do it, and it's just it's it's money. It's just dead on. There's it's just there it is. So yeah, there is I, there's no call that does that that vocalization better than a hyperlip double with a tone converter. And I was just going to um, throw it out there to uh, Steve Chapel and to uh, uh, Jason uh, Phelps. Uh, guys, someone please, uh, other than Primos, come up with an, an, a, a hyperlip double to. type call. And, and um, I've asked them to. And I know. I, and, but I don't think, I think most people think it's a gimmick. Yeah, I wish, hopefully they'll listen and do it. I don't want to spend a bunch of time on this next question just because I feel like it's further season out than some of these you know imperative questions that we have for this season coming but my first elk hunt second rifle would you throw out some cow calls still um i think it depends on where you're at um i think it you know if there's elk talking or if you have nothing going i don't think it can hurt you uh chris without spending a ton of time on a second rifle just because we can do this uh to first of all answer is yes answer is yes (laughs) Um, I tuned in just to see Poppy. Great. She's here. She, she loves doing these. Um, let's see on the same bowl for three years. And he has finally blown up to a giant. Know where he has rutted in the past. What are the odds of him going to the same area? He will be in the same area more than likely, unless some feed conditions or water conditions or something does not allow him to enjoy what he's enjoyed there for the last three years. But 
I can't tell you how many times I've seen a bull uh, year after year come back to the same spot, and sometimes it's crazy. They come back the same day, like, oh, I saw him on the 24th, yep. and guess what? Boom, he comes back 24th, same spot. It's crazy. Yep. Um, yep. Saw one bull this weekend, fully rubbed and one partially rubbed in Unit 5. Hi, Mike. Good to see you. Um, do bulls that are in one drainage right now usually stay around there until September, given there's cows, feed, and water, south, south central Colorado? Not necessarily. I mean, you can have bulls that are there all summer in one drainage and they rub their velvet and boom, they're gone. And then you've got bulls that are homebodies. We have them on the ranch that literally are, I mean, we have bulls on the ranch that don't go to one end of the ranch or the other. They, you know, they stay in one spot, but they never go to one end. We have bulls on the ranch that will rut on the north, on the south, east, west, and they'll go to every corner. And then specific bulls, you can look for them in one spot, and they're never anywhere else. So, I mean, I think, Chris, you want to weigh in on that? All I would say is I don't get caught up on the bulls. You know, uh, you know it, the pro- the problem comes is unless is, he's a giant, then you have to figure out and you know, and that's okay, him. and that's where I was. That's exactly where I was going to say is if you found a giant now, now okay, that's a different story because don't automatically expect him to be right there. Now he might be right there early, you know, he with the cows, but that's the problem is the cows can then split up and start to branch out, and if that cow group splits up. Well, he's he's going to choose one, and he's going to go with them. So you're hoping that the cow group that bonds with him stays where you know stays there. Otherwise, you're going to have to look for him because yeah, the, he, if the cows are around, I, my right now I would be focusing on where the cow groups are because that's where the the, the bulls are going to start making their way to them. And just because you have a bull here and a cow group here doesn't mean this bull doesn't go way over here and find this cow group. He, he it. But- They'll walk by cows to find other cows Correct. and go rut where they want to rut. I hear it yep. all the time. People say, oh, well, there's cows there. Or if you're talking about mule deer or whitetail, oh, there's does there. Not necessarily. He could check and stop and check them, but very likely he could walk right by them and never pay them attention because for whatever reason he doesn't like them. He wants to go to greener pastures. But uh, you often say 6B in Arizona is not good. Um, are you talking about rut activity or just not good overall? 6B, in my opinion, the habitat, uh, there's not very, there's not a ton of it. It's kind of a small unit. Uh, it does get quite a bit of pressure and it just has never over the years really produced anything that good as well as the, the amount of pressure from, and I haven't hunted it personally, but a lot of guys I know have, um, with the kind of small amount of area that everybody's jammed into, the pressure makes it where they don't bugle quite as well um, as they do in other areas. Uh, would you rather deal with muzzleloader pressure in OTC archery unit but have good bugling or go first week of season, not deal with as much pressure but miss the peak bugling season? I think this is a pretty good question, Chris. Um, I don't... Be nice. Be nice. I don't. I, well, no, I, I, I am. I, 
I have been maybe unfortunate in my areas because I really don't see much of a difference between the pressure of the first week, second week, third week, fourth week of season. It's just you're going to have freaking pressure. Well, and and uh, especially and since the season now starts on September 2nd, maybe you could correct. have made that argument a couple years ago or correct. a handful of years ago when it started on like the last Saturday in, in August, correct. right? I, 100%. 100%. Um, and quite honestly, the other th- Chris, are you there? We lost him. Um, we'll wait to get him back here. Great advice, Chris. Um, how'd you guess? Let's see. How do you both think this drought here in the West will... Oh, we lost Chris. All right. How do you think the drought here in the West? Let me send. Let me see if Chris is okay. We'll wait for him to jump back on here. Um, is light cow calling at a water hole set up stupid? I don't think so at all. I think if uh, you're sitting and nothing's going, um, given a few cow calls. Uh, those bulls, other cows may be in the distance and might be wanting that reassurance that potentially uh, there's other elk there in the area. So, I mean, even a, even a light bugle or even a good bugle every once in a while, I think one of the things you got to watch is uh, calling too much. And then as they cure, you know, they're curious and they're approaching uh, and then all of a sudden they're not seeing any activity. They see the water and it's just dead calm. You know, it's not being... Um, you know, stirred up, I think that will tend to make them uh, nervous. Let's see if Chris is texting me here. Um, Chris, just come back on if, if you get service. Um, but, yeah, I think light calling, just trying to um, pique a bull or cow's curiosity uh, is, is not a bad idea. Let's see here. Going out this weekend for early season in Utah, any recommendations on calling and other tactics? Okay, one of the things, guys, that I really like to do uh, early season is to take a couple of small, like four or five point type antlers with you uh, on your backpack. And when you get in close, if you're able to have someone with you, you know, get behind you and you get up front and have them clank the antlers together. Um, that can be super effective as well as raking a tree. Um, right now the bulls, you know, it's the 18th of August and most of the bulls, um, are, are rubbed, uh, and rub the velvet off. And then they're going to be rubbing, going around and rubbing and trying to harden their antlers, trying to get the rest of the velvet off. They're trying to now start kind of going and staking out their territory. Um, so raking, uh, and uh, raking antlers together also can be super effective, as well as, you know, kind of making blind setups and, and sitting uh, in an area where, and let me thumb through here and see if Chris is, here we go. Um, sitting in an area and, uh, you know, doing some blind calling can be advantageous as well. There you are. Are you mobile? Phone got- the phone got too warm, so I just shut the whole thing off. Ah, so you're running the air on it? That's what I'm trying to do right now. It's running the air conditioning on it. So hopefully it's cooled off enough. You got to be kidding me. So I guess I can't have it on my. I can't have it on my my 
window mount because apparently it gets too warm on the window mount. Oh man, where are you? Oh, I'm in behind Walmart in Colorado here <laughs> on the front range. This stupid freaking you're, good lord! This you're the, the cre- is, you're the creepy is, guy behind Walmart. Walmart. Correct. This is this is my whole freaking month, man. If if something stupid can happen, ah, it's gonna happen. You're the can creepy you guy. Okay? Yeah, I hear you fine. Um, I've right. been answering a few questions. Um, there's a question here, Mike Stansfield. Does mineralization in 30 days mean stronger antlers uh, and less and less breakage? So, uh, no, you know, no, no, no. Yeah, no, no. So that's just what that antler does. So an antler grows. So when an antler starts growing, it's this um, vascular appendage. I mean, it, it's it's and that's why you see all the veins. It's full of blood vessels, and there's keratinization all the way up through it to just give it to some support. But that's why they're so they're full of nerve endings. They're full of blood vessels, and they're easily broken and they're easily damaged. And that is what is growing, but as it grows, it will start to add some structure to it. But once that entire antler structure is about done growing, that's when all of a sudden the, 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 the blood vessels start to dry up. It's just pumping calcium, magnesium, all those minerals just go in there to harden it up. Um, it, it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, oh, it did it in 30 days. No, that's just how a normal antler cycle, antler genesis is about. Um, now, they do throw different minerals in different parts of the, you know, uh, the antler. There, that's the reason why you hear people talk about the ivory tips of the antlers. The, the tips of those antlers are a much higher density than the bulk of the antler it, it, it itself. Um, but really mineralization happens every it just that's just how it happens the question on whether or not they get brittle or not i think there's been some discussion about you know in dry years versus wet years you know how much mineral you know are they able to get full minerals mineralization on it or is it just you know you know generally weaker than it has been before just because they haven't been able to put as much mineralization in on it that ends up being due to forage quality and how much forage they have but the cycle is the cycle so chris while you were um cooling your phone down got a question here going out this weekend for early season in utah any recommendations on calling and other tactics i was talking about um clanking you know four and five point antlers together having someone behind you getting close to some elk and you know, most bulls, when they hear antlers, they just want to come see what it is. So that's a good tactic. I also talked about raking a tree. And then I kind of started getting into a little bit of blind calling. Um, anything you might add there to early season Utah? You know, Utah starts right now, like 15th of of I know. I wish, I wish I could be out there. I wish I could be out there. I love this time. So, yeah, bull vocalization strategies can actually be really good this time of year. And I'm not talking about screaming your head off you know, bugling, you know, dominant bugles or challenge bugles, all that. Just, you know, just the general bull vocalizations, moans, groans, huff, you know, whines, all that, all sorts of different stuff. Like you said, Jay, you know, sounded like a couple bulls sparring. Awesome. Raking, yes. But if you're going to use cow calling strategies, yeah, do not hesitate to, to lean heavy on the calf vocalizations to start. And, and we talked about that, I think, in the last one. Um, 
and when I get home, I'll be able to upload that other video that we that you and I did on uh, talking about you know you you know cap vocalizations and the. We got a really good one. We're waiting for Chris Dude, to it's upload freaking awesome, it, but man. It's it's awesome. It, it will be. It, I'm hopefully be get, able to get it uploaded this weekend on the on both, you know, the audio for UJ, but the video will be up on the elk module here this yeah. this weekend. But yeah. um, no, all of those things are in play, man. I mean, the only thing is, is just do not feel like you're going to go out there and get aggressive with your bugling strategies. That's not and have them come right storming now. in and have yeah. them just come rushing in. Most of the time, they're going to come that in is- kind of easy and just checking things out. Let's go to the next question here. Uh, Colorado OTC archery philosophy number one: find the elk and avoid the crowds. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes to both. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. Find the elk and avoid the crowds. There we go. That's a good start. How much moving versus glassing do you do during the late season, mid November? Uh, so, if you're asking me, uh, do a lot of sitting on one point and glassing. And, you know, giving it a good hour or so. And then I try and have subsequent other glassing points that I can bounce to. So I have kind of a primary glassing point that I feel like I can look into good country. And then I always like to have a couple places where I can pop up here, look for 30 minutes, pop up here, look for 30 minutes. So the first time I glass, it's for about an hour. Then I move, then my periods of time of glassing kind of slow down or uh, speed up because I'm just trying to catch, you know, that one bull that's up and moving. And if I'm sitting there looking and they're already bedded down, then I'm bouncing trying to trying to get where I can see stuff. Chris? Yeah. yeah yep. 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 Okay. Um, early season OTC Colorado elk, non-vocal target feed areas or, or question mark water question mark. How much water's in your area? First question. If you if it's been getting pounded with rain and there's water everywhere, well then okay, that's a that's a that's a non-starter. Then you most of Colorado's been getting pounded. Yeah. So if that's the case, then you're gonna have water everywhere. Then okay, then you then if you have the ability to glass like Jay was just talking about, use use your eyes and, and glass and try to figure out where they are in those feeding areas. And then if you can't do that, then yes, go try to figure out where the what I'm going to do at that point then is where the sanctuary areas, where, where, where can those elk go where they're not going to be disrupted by people? Because if it's been getting rain everywhere, you're probably going to get good vegetative growth, cool season vegetative growth across the mountain as well. So at that point, then I'm going to be trying to figure where's the sanctuary area, where, where are the elk going to go to get away from pressure? That's and what about wallows, Chris? What about wallows? I mean, the wallows can absolutely work. I mean, it, you know, the rut's going to be kicking on, and you got bulls that are big. They've got fat on them. They got heavy coats starting to get, so they get a little warm, and they still want to wallow. But the problem is, is if you have a lot of wet weather and rainstorms every day, it's not as big of a draw. And a lot of times, they're going to use them, you know, sporadically. It's not like you can just sit on them and, and you know, if all of a sudden you get a dry spell. Or just a massive heat wave that comes yeah. through during your seat, you know. Okay, absolutely game changer. But if it just stays where every day at three o'clock it just the, it gets cloudy and it pours, yeah, just just go in there and call them. This is the second question I've gotten uh, here. Backpack tax, good or bad thing, long term for hunters? I don't even know what he's talking about. Backpack tax, do you? Where's is there some the t- tax on backpack tax? Oh, are you are you talking about what? Oh, I wonder if he's talking about 
Yeah. So, okay, we're, we're we're jumping in the political spectrum here. Yeah. So, if we're talking about a like a teaming with wildlife thing, so Pittman Robertson, Dingle Johnson, you know, sporting goods, you know, rifles, bows, arrows, fishing rods, all that type, we have a tax on it. That tax goes to uh, pay for hunting and fishing. There's always been this push to have the non-consumptive user groups oh, okay. to pitch in as well. So binoculars and you know backpacks and tents and sleeping pads and that type of stuff. Man, it's a I me personally, I am not a fan of it, um, and it's purely selfish because I, you know, if we just real briefly, I talked about this in a couple of other podcasts uh, recently. Man, we are a tiny. Let's just say off the let's say on the high end, we're only ten percent of the population, and the other ninety percent starts to actually pitch in and, and pay quote unquote pay their fair share. All of a sudden, there is no void. We, we don't have leverage as sportsmen. Right now, a lot of our hunting opportunities, I, I'm sorry to say this, a lot of agencies, there's this feeling that, well, we have to cater to hunters because that's how we pay our bills. If all of a sudden they're not paying their bills by hunters, well, then they don't have to cater to hunters. Makes so, sense. No, I, I personally, and this is just a selfish one for me, I'm not a, I am not a fan of that idea. Okay, let's go to the next one, uh, Nathan Goodworth here. After the big uh, herd bulls have kicked satellite bulls out of the herd, which method do you prefer and why? Spot and stock or get in and call? You want, you want me to jump on first? I, mm-hmm. Dude, I love to call, man. I, 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 For me, it's not about killing something. For me, it's it's getting to play the game. I, And this is dead serious. I would... I, if... If I had a 380 bull in front of me, and the only way to kill him was to spot and stalk and sniper him, or I had a 330 bull in front of me that I could call and I could put him right here and I could make it, quote unquote, make him do what I wanted him to do, that 330 bull would be dead that fast. I, I enjoy the chess match, the intellectual play between myself and an animal. I'm always going to default to call it. That's just my that's just my personal bias. You? Someone says some. Um, yeah, I mean, it totally. <laughs> Jay's just, just, just going to do. He's like, I'm not answering that one. <laughs> yeah, someone says I'm dod. He's he's question dodging like politicians. Uh, it depends you what, what you want to do. What? If you if you want to kill a big bull, then then do what it takes to kill it. If you want interaction, okay. then. Okay, so um, so maybe I maybe I misunderstood his question. I, I thought no. he was just asking what I would do. I guess if if you're talking no, about he's saying he's saying he's saying the big bull has kicked the he? satellites out. Yeah. So so he's he's an isolated bull sure. with cows. Um, which method do you prefer, spot and stalk, or get in? I think you answered it fine. Yeah, exactly. I, I you know yes, you can. I mean, listen, Dan Evans kills a piss pile of giant elk every year. And his preferred method, if, unless he's changed, is letting them bugle, letting them just do their rut stuff, and he just slips in there and zip, zip done. So if you want to kill something and, and all you care about is putting an animal on the ground and you don't care how you do it, if that bull is over there bugling and going nuts and you can slip in and sniper him and just shoot him, do it. Calling is just a tool. You know, so I, I prefer to use the tool. I would rather try to call him in. But if you can slip in and, and sniper him, go for it. But if that doesn't work, then or you just can't quite finish it at that point, well then go. Then okay, fine. Then then use your calls. 
Hunting thick timber first week of September. Any good calling tactics would be appreciated. So he needs uh, row hunting resources, stra calling strategies, targeted strategies. I highly recommend go on the elk module <laughs> because Chris outlines and lays all this stuff out here. Um, give them a and, little and taste, thing, Chris. It, well, and that's the thing. My, the, the big point here is there, it's not magic. There, there's no magic book. There's not this ooh secret thing to do. If you know anything about me, you know darn well I talk about fundamentals of basic elk vocalization. What do they do day in, day out, speaking to one another when they need something? That is what I go in. I do not play to testosterone to start. I start in on the fundamentals. Lost muse, assembly muse, maybe some wines. I don't care if I'm in Arizona in the Big Pines, if I'm in New Mexico, if I'm in Colorado OTC, if I'm in a limited entry unit in Wyoming. It doesn't matter. I'm hunting elk, so I'm going to speak to them like elk speak to one another. I'm going to start at a target. Most of the time, it's going to be a targeted calling strategy. Starting with lost mute, this is this is when I'm actually working the bulls. Doesn't mean that I'm not going to use a bugle, maybe to try to get you know a contact bugle, you know, try to get a you know a location out there, or you know just get somebody to, to sound off. But when I'm going to work them, I don't I don't care if I'm talking August fifteenth, September first, September fifteenth, or November fifteenth. I speak to them the way they speak. July fifth, January fifth. September 5th, you come in at that level, like Jay said, the targeted, lost muse, assembly muse. Where are you? Come here. Done. That, I mean, it's, it, I know, it just, it's frustrating because every, there's so many people out there marketing their ideas. They're, they're marketing a call. They're marketing the magic their, bullet. their program, and they're like, this is, the, this is the secret. This is what you, this is all you need to do. You're bullshit. No, wrong. What does an elk do? Answer. Ask yourself that. What does an elk do? And how can I reproduce it? Done. End of discussion. If you are doing what an elk does when he or she does it, and you sound like them, and you, you, you're, you, you make a rele relevant uh, vocal argument, they're going to do what you're asking them to do. So it's no. Go. go you can go on the, the Rowaning Resources website But it's right super now. expensive, Chris. It's, it's thousands 20, of dollars. Twenty-five dollars is going to break you right now. It's just going to—that's just the end of your season. You're just going to have to plan again for next year, I think. Yeah, seriously, man. I, and I do. I've got a little crash course in there because people ask all this all the time. They come in about now. They're like, "Oh, what do I do?" Okay, there you go. Go in. You need to understand behavior. You know, how do they communicate with one another? How do they move across the landscape? How do you figure out your setups? Because it doesn't matter how good of a caller you are if you don't have your setups right you're just going to see elk and that's about it so understand go to look at the first section there that talks about behavior go through it understand how they can't communicate why and what they're doing on the landscape and then you jump straight into yeah i watched it there's a full nine videos on cow vocalizations there's another eight or nine videos on bull vocalization but i've, I've even set aside these little crash courses but here's how you do the target strategy Here's how you do the lost muse. Here's how you do the assembly muse. Here's what you do with wines. You got it. Yes. Now jump into the elk, you know, the elk hunter strategy app. Now watch me do it every single time, no matter what setting I'm in, in and put them 
like seven steps in front of me. So don't don't overthink it. Just go, just just follow it and trust it. All right, guys, keep putting your questions there. Next question: How about answering early season versus hunting during muzzleloader? And I wonder if he means, uh, you know, early season archery hunting in Colorado before the muzzleloaders start around the 10th or 11th of, of Colorado. Talk, let's assume he's talking about that. I'm just going to defer to what I just said. No difference. Seriously, uh, you, you, you're going to have to come. You're, you're going to have to engage that animal. No matter where you are in that hunting, that hunting season, the only thing that you're going to, you're going to have to figure out that the animal that you're engaging, are they on their own or are they with cows? And are they pressured? After that, I mean, we, we, we have no idea. You could run into opening week opening week this week or this year. So it starts on September 2nd. Well, that first weekend of, of September is, is Labor Day weekend. You're going to have a pile of people in the woods. So you could have absolutely extremely pressured animals right off the get-go. But then again, by third week, depending on where you are in muzzleloader, you may find a pocket of group, a pocket of elk that maybe not as pressure. Again, don't just fundamentals, man. Fundamentals. Start with the fundamentals of communication. Work your way up as far as intensity and aggression, and figure out what the bull is because you don't know the bull that you're dealing with until you engage them. You don't know if they're an aggressive bull. You don't know what their what their uh, personality is. You don't know what the if they have cows, if they don't have cows. What, how old is he? You don't know any of that until you engage him. So start with the fundamentals and build up. Right, and one of the things I would tell um, archers is maybe start acting a little bit more like guys that hunt with a rifle or hunt with a muzzleloader. And hear me out on this because I hear Chris going, hmm. Um, no, 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 no. You know, if, you, if, you, if you're no. trying, if you finally draw on this muzzleloader tag and now you can shoot at these animals at 100 or 150 yards, let's say, you need to be a little bit more using your binoculars, hear an elk bugle, try and spot them, go, okay, that's not even a bull that I want. Let's go to a different area. I think as archers and as callers, we kind of get ingrained to, we hear an elk. We're going to go and mess with him. Well, you could waste an hour with that elk, and that day is shot, and you don't have any other elk to go to. Um, for those guys out there that have shot a bunch of bulls and they're trying to shoot better bulls and trying to, you know, up, you know, and, and beat their own success in, you know, 330, now it's 340, now it's 350 or whatever, you're going to have to use process of elimination of putting your eyes on them. That's not a bull I want to go after. Let's look for something else. Okay, that's not a bull. That's not a bull. And it's just a numbers game. And then, boom, you find one. Okay, now I have one to play with that if he comes in, I want to shoot. So don't be wasting your time on elk. And then there's some guys out there that are listening that go, I'll just shoot any elk that comes in. And that's Correct. fine. I'm, I'm not saying – I'm just saying if you are one of those guys that maybe drew – a tag and you want to be a little bit more choosy start acting a little more choosy use your eyes and be a little more picky about where you actually go and try and engage an elk if you can look across the drainage and be like he's not even a bull i want to shoot go find another one don't waste but time. if he but if he is a bull you want to shoot you can see him the other thing too is just because you hear an elk bugle doesn't mean you need to bugle back at it doesn't mean that you need to call to him from a distance not we jay you and i and everybody everybody that talks about elk calling always talks about getting close getting close before you start calling there's so many people that feel like oh i heard a bull i heard a bull bugle uh bugle i need a bugle at him get him to respond why 
calling is a tool. Sometimes the best thing to do is if you hear a bull bugling and he's just bugling and he's doing his own thing, keep your mouth shut. Just close the distance. Don't get don't let him know you're you're somebody out there. Don't let, let him, him stay in his pattern. If he's just bugling, Correct. let him keep bugling and you get in there close and look at him. You get in close and look at him or get in close and shoot him or get in close and you're like, okay, he's right there, but I can't see him. I don't have a shot. Now is when I need to use my tools to try to influence him to make a move my way. Don't set yourself up for failure just by jumping in blindly, trying to make some sound and, and just completely go, oh, crap, there's a hunter over there. I need to now we I need to shut down. I got to go quiet or we need to move off or whatever. No. Uh, next question, will the August moisture in the southwest state, uh, will this forage improvement make for an early rut or better than normal rut? Um, I think in Arizona specifically and, you know, down by the odd six where we have really good moisture, I think the body condition of the elk is in good shape and that the cows are, you know, fat and sassy, if you will, and I think from my experience that that usually turns into animals feeling good it turns into normal cycling periods and yes most of the time when you have good monsoonal moisture it turns into a bugle fest um, a rut fest a scream fest a meatball fest whatever you call it that's my experience chris yeah, and it really depends on the type of forage that you're dealing with. You're dealing. We talked, Jay. You and I talked about this, I believe, in the last one. The forage quality. You know, if we're talking about warm season grasses like blue grama grass, it's it's most of that blue grama grass is already. It's gonna. It'll stay green and it'll it'll have some good forage quality, but it's not gonna really explode. Your your cool season grasses like your blue grasses and fescues and that type of stuff, you can get a really good flourish on, you know, really good green up on that. So that can kind of affect things. But no, I mean, the most of the areas that are getting rain or that had some rain, the forage quality is going to be pretty good. And, and I don't think it's going to kick anything off as far as making anything early. It's just going to hopefully, hopefully it just allows those cows to have enough body condition to them to where they can cycle on their normal, normal cycle. Question here. I can't find the cows on my unit and my hunt starts September 1st in Utah. I have pictures of bulls since July. No cows. What's he do, Chris? I don't know the terrain. Is it is uh, is he talking about being able to get up on places in glass or is he just using, is he down in the timber and, and fixed up where he's using game cameras and he's only finding, I, I, I don't know uh, the habitat that he's in, but... Um, I'd be looking yeah, it, other places. It sounds like he's in a bull pasture, and if you're only yeah, getting it, summer bull elk pictures, you're in a bull pasture, and likely I'd rather go yeah, find a cow elk. pasture. Go go yeah, find go, where it, all the cows are. You might have to go miles. He may just be looking in this basin and that basin, and, and, he, and, and I'm not saying this is what he's doing. I, I've seen this with sheep hunting as well or goat hunting where you finally find a, a, a band of sheep You've been scouting and scouting. You can't find anything. You finally find a band of sheep, but there's really nothing in there that's mature or goats. But yet you just kind of keep coming back there because at least you get to see sheep. You need to leave, you know, and go look somewhere else. And you may be fine, you know, spending days of seeing nothing but rock. And then you're like, well, but I want to go back and look at those. No, you don't want to go back and look at those sheep because you already know that there's nothing there that you want. So sometimes people will find bulls in an area 
and maybe there's a really nice bull or two in there. And then they're like, okay, so I'm going to watch this. Well, I'm going to go over here. Oh, I don't find any cows. So I'm going to come back. Oh, I don't come. No, leave. You, you, you may have to go miles in several basins up over the mountain and completely different area. And just, okay, you found those. That's great. You need to go somewhere else and look because those those cows could be miles away. And then, but once you find them, now you're going to be, it, that those bulls will start making their way that way. You can have the cows bust up too. That's true. But the bulls will start making their way that way. Uh, any tips for recovering from a poorly made bugle or cow call? Let them settle. I just, okay. Poorly Don't made. follow it up with another bad one. There you go. But the, by the same token, though, Okay, if let, let that here's how we answer this one. If <laughs> if if the if eighty percent of your your calls are unpredictable and variable, and some of them and and eighty percent of them kind of come out wrong and not the way you wanted them to. Okay, a start practicing some more now. Don't practice bad habits, but just start, try to get yourself a little bit better and more consistent. So that way, when you pick up your, your call, you can make a sound. If the vast majority of your sounds are kind of unpredictable and you end up with a bad sound, maybe you just stop calling for several minutes or 30 minutes or an hour. Let those elk settle down. Grab a different style call, maybe a, a different open read style or grab a different a mouth diaphragm or something. So you have a different vocal signature. Maybe try to move positions a little bit and then start over again and, and rework them. Now, if, if you're a good caller and 90% of your vocalizations are just right on the money and you can execute them and you just make a mistake, just just keep moving through it. Don't even don't even stop on it. Don't even act like anything happened. Don't if you, if you make a squeak or a weird, don't just go and then stop and then everything go quiet. Yeah, and they just look up. Yeah, they're like, what happened to you? Did she just get et by a lion or what? You know, <laughs> Just just work right through it. There's there's cows and bulls that sound horrible. Just keep the continuity of what you're doing and move right through it and just get yourself back into a, a good cycling of calling and then phase out or do whatever you want. But it depends on on what type of, of caller you are. Do you think uh, hey, yes, no? Yeah, I mean, I, I make a bad call every once in a while and I just either give it just a little bit and go right in and make a sweet sound and it, you know, it doesn't matter. I think, um, you know, switch calls, too. You know, if you've got one, especially on those open read calls, it, sometimes every once in a while they can get wet and you can make a squawk. Just, I mean, I always carry two or three of them and just switch calls, and, you know, they, they don't even think anything about it. Because, I mean, how many times, Chris, you've been out there and you hear kind of a funny sound and then you hear a, a sweet sound right after it. You're yeah, like, oh, right she, just, yep. she had a piece of grass in her mouth and it just didn't make, make the right sound. Yep, um, yep. Chris, I've got here, I credit Chris with getting my first bull. I signed up for his elk module, was new to elk hunting. He provided me with a great education on elk vocalizations, how and why elk calls and what they mean. Um, that's awesome. Uh, due, due to last year's Colorado fires, I'm forced to find a new unit for OTC early season archery. Sounds like low-density elk um low density hunters is a better move than high density elk and high density hunters. So Chris, would you go to an area that maybe doesn't have as much elk and maybe doesn't have as many people than high elk densities and high elk 
um, pressure, people pressure? Yeah, I mean, I, that's a hard one. Um, if if the low density area was such that you knew where those elk were going to be, yes, because uh, that or 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 I had a plenty of time to go find them. That's the issue when you're in those low density areas. Hope hopefully you have low density hunters. That's not always the case because if it's easy terrain and it's close to you know. If we're talking Colorado, it's, you know, it's, it's close to Colorado Springs or close to Denver or whatever. You're not going to be easy terrain, close to people. You're going to have a lot of people there. Yeah. Um, so if it's low density, do you have the ability to locate those animals? If, if that's the case, then maybe. But just understand, you might be out there spending many, many days trying to find those elk. So at that point, I guess the, the big thing was if that's what you want to do, good. Okay, that makes sense. But just make sure that you have the tools once you do find an elk that you can capitalize on every opportunity that you're given um, because it may take you five days to figure out where they are. You know, it, conversely, in another unit that has a lot of elk, yeah, you might have a lot of hunters, but that's the thing is if you've got a lot of elk around, oftentimes you can just All keep takes going one. And, yeah, it's all it takes is one, and, and you can oftentimes figure out how to get around people even though there's a there's a lot of them around so it, it man it's a it's a six and one half dozen the other it all depends on how much time you have and do you know where those elk are in those low density areas uh, another shout out uh, don't forget to mention row hunting resources app great tool to use um oh yeah great great stuff chris uh i'm a first year elk hunter and don't hear um it just moved on me i don't hear many people talking about late season archery early to mid november do you have any tips yeah i don't want to spend a bunch of time on that because i want to cover the rut stuff right now but um let me, let me of, answer it okay let, just go do exactly what i said again if you if you follow my philosophy i'm not playing to testosterone i don't need to, to my strategy is not how i call and why i call the way i call is not dependent upon september I use this exact same thing in November on late hunts as I do. It, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Again, we're talking about fundamental base core vocalizations that elk use to speak to one another. So if you have a late season hunt, go onto the website, learn the cow vocalizations, and especially the cow vocalizations at that point, especially pay attention to the calf vocalization stuff that, that's in there and that will be in there from the conversation Jay and I just had. It's irrelevant. You don't need to play to testosterone at any time, whether it not not as a first play. You can use fundamentals in August. You can everyday language. Every day you can you can use it in January. So yeah. anyway, but I think also um, those later hunts they don't tend to vocalize as much. So as nope. a late season archery hunter, uh, especially in Arizona, I think this hunters from Arizona. Um, ah, okay. A lot of guys really start focusing on water. A lot of guys really start focusing on feed and where they're shading up and bedding up for the afternoon. Um, Using archery, archery elk hunting in November in Arizona can be extremely tough because they're most of the time they don't move very much and they live in very very thick, nasty, brushy canyons. And getting close to them is hard. Um, we can talk about that later here after. Yeah, the my mind, my mind went right to uh, late season cow hunts, but yeah, you're right. You're you're right. My mind might have gone in a different and direction. Especially and especially archery too. 
Um, difference in style slash techniques between hunting mountain states and hunting the canyon country of Arizona like units up on the rim. So, Chris, I think you said it. You don't really change much. No, and, and you know, even on the rim, if they've never been on the rim, they're going to be surprised at how big those pines are and how open they are, you know. So, yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is, guys, you've got to find elk to play with. And that that's the same whether you're in the mountains or out in the flats in the pinyon juniper. And a lot of it is feed and water. And once you find them, um, they're just elk. I mean, they, they're going to act very similar whether they're in the pines or in as far as vocalizations. They're going to act fairly similar. Um, but to find them, you know, obviously get up high in glass, uh, go check the water holes, go check for sign, you know, take take good long walks and try and find where there's trails and where you see lots of fresh tracks and sign and droppings and elk or elk. Yeah. Just adjust your setups accordingly to the terrain. Yeah. And, uh, Got a, a few questions here. Um, and guys keep putting your questions there, but I've got some that also came in earlier on Instagram. Um, how often do you guys call as you move through the trees when unsure where the elk are so you don't know where the elk are how often do you just kind of call and, and are trolling for me it all depends on how many people are in the area um if if i feel like i'm in a relatively uh not it doesn't have to be remote if no one else is around and i know the elk are there somewhere I'm sorry, Chris. I, I interrupted you. Did you see that? I just couldn't help the laugh. We, we talked about nose jammer on the last one, so I, I, I throw that in the same realm. I, it's all nose jammer. I um, kept trying was, to fight the smile off, and and then finally I just laughed out loud. Go ahead. But no, Josh. I just if if, if I know, uh, yeah, exactly. If I, if I know that I'm I'm kind of out there by myself, and I know where the elk are there somewhere and I have a purpose for where I'm going, then, then I might call, and then, then I might actually call as I'm walking, number one. Number two, I'm going to be basing that off of what I'm, you know, what, what's the environment around me? It, it's one of those days where the, you know, the birds are singing, the ravens are, you know, flying around, and the hawks are flying around, and the squirrels are dropping pine cone bombs out on, on top of you. If the woods is alive, then, then I'm going to be a little bit more freer on, on, possibly calling as i'm moving but we all know that there's those days where you don't even want to step on wet grass because it's too loud well if that's the type of uh, day that i'm dealing with i'm not going to say squat most likely so you really got to play it by what you're seeing and hearing in the woods around you and then play it smart you know are there other hunters in the area are they going to hear you and then come right up in your back pocket or do you even know if there's elk around if, if if that's the case then yeah, all those factors go into whether or not I, I call as I move, but I've got plenty of examples uh, in my videos that where I'm calling and moving. Uh, how to increase your chances for broadside shot, not frontal, when calling solo? Yeah, didn't we talked about that one last time, didn't we? Or was that on that video that we... No, I think that was on the last live that we did. Um, yeah, you just need to get your setup, you know, just make sure you're, that doorway, you know, you set up to where when they come in and they pause just don't take the shot until they decide to take another step and either move through 
uh, and just keep on coming on through because there's plenty of times where that's going to happen. I mean, most people, as soon as that do- that elk hits that doorway, they just feel pressured to shoot them there. You don't have to shoot them there. Just let them keep moving. They're going to pause. They're going to look. And oftentimes, if, they, if you've done your job right, they're just going to continue to walk through and just kind of follow them and let them just eat one broadside. Or if they start to get a little squirrely and they're like, nah, I'm going to leave or whatever, as they turn to move, you know, move away, either give them a little bit of a vocalization just to kind of stop them and just kind of get them to you know, lock up in the tracks, maybe get broadside there. Or let them, if they do spook a little bit, let them trot, 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 let them turn. A lot of times they're going to trot a couple steps, they're going to turn, and they're going to look back. And a lot of times you can get a quartering away shot there. But um, I just prefer to get my bow set up such that I can take a frontal or a, a quartering two shot and just have my arrow go from the front right throughout the other end, uh, other end of him and uh, kill him that way. But, no, you don't have to kill him as soon as they stop in the doorway. Just let them continue to move through. Chris, uh, I've got a question here. Explain, see you first, hear you second, smell you third. That's what's on the video. That's what's on the website. <laughs> 25 bucks, yeah. pony up. Yeah, the, 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 the see you first principle is based on how elk want to see. They're, they're a visual species. So everybody talks about vocalization, but everybody forgets, most everybody forgets about all, the, the just the vast majority, about 80 plus percent of their communication is all visual. So and I, I, I go into it in depth on the website about the fact that this is why people talk about all the time, well, that, that bull's going to swing downwind. Not if you set yourself upright, he won't. And if you're calling correctly, he won't, because he won't think anything of, he, he won't think there's any reason to swing downwind, because you, you just, no, play to what they want. They want to see you first, they want to hear you second, and they want to smell you third. When, it, when we're talking about communication, not when we're talking about danger. Danger, they want to smell you first. But if you don't set yourself up to where they think there's danger, they don't default to that position. Now, in, in heavily hunted over-the-counter units, yes, you can have, especially some of those younger age class bulls, you know, that have been beat up and pushed out and run around and have run into other hunters before. Okay, maybe they do. They, they get a little cautious of everything and they want to come in downwind. But again, if you set yourself up correctly and you call correctly, you will greatly reduce the likelihood of them thinking anything is wrong and then wanting to swing downwind. And if you're cognizant of the fact that the bulls might be, you know, pressured and want to swing downwind, then set yourself up to where the doorway is such to where when he wants to try to swing downwind, you get a shot opportunity on it. So it's good stuff. Guys, I want to remind you if you're not a Go Hunt insider to go to gohunt.com forward slash J Scott. And you're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card just for signing up. Also, Kuyu has stepped up. You're, you're going to be in a drawing to potentially win $1,500 uh, worth of Kuyu gear. I also want to tell you with the new Go Hunt maps, uh, both the mobile and the desktop, that's an added value to being a Go Hunt Insider member. So not only uh, before you know you had the draw odds, harvest statistics, all of that stuff with the Go Hunt Insider, now you've got the mapping that's all part of it. It's the same price. Um, use the J. Scott promo code, and uh, they're, they're also giving a bunch of stuff away on their Summer of Elk giveaway. Also, guys, if you're looking for hunting gear, you're getting a 10% discount uh, at the Go Hunt Gear Shop. Uh, so use the J. Scott promo code at checkout. Get the 10% discount. 
Also, you can call Cody Nelson, optics, uh, tripods, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, text him on his cell phone, 602-399-3699. Uh, make sure you use J. Scott, get the, pro, get the uh, discount. Another question here, would you recommend hang a decoy on a tree a few yards back when hunting solo and calling in a bull, or should you keep the decoy with you? Yeah, I, people can go back and we, we yeah, well, there's two. We, so we had a good in-depth discussion on this last time, and I've got a complete video regarding decoys on the website. Um, quite honestly, this is a this is a, a philosophical di- question, I guess. You know, for my my philosophy on calling, I've I've heard this from numerous people that call have learned to call the way I do. Ditch the decoy work the setup and and you're going to have a hell of a lot of uh success with it now with that being said if you are the type of person that that feels they need a decoy the difference the different decoys are going to create a different uh outcome for you but yes if if you feel that you need to use a decoy then if it's a stat if it's a type of decoy that's a static decoy then yes if you if you want to put it off to the side of you and behind you a ways and, and have it static I kind of recommend the elk butt decoy from Montana decoy because it makes sense that it's a static decoy and not moving. Um, set that off to the side of you and back away from you if you, if you want, but make sure it still can be seen from that doorway. Um, if you want to have the decoy with you, then I would choose a, the style of decoy that's going to allow you to have some motion in it. <gasps> Excuse me. I like the heads up style decoy because it's tiny. It's a head and the neck of a, of an elk. And if I need a little bit of movement, like I just I, I just pick the head up of an elk out behind a tree, and then I can put the head back down, it's kind of like an elk picking her head up and putting it back down feeding, having that dynamic movement can sometimes help. If you want, a uh, buddy of mine owns Ultimate Predator Decoys, awesome uh, decoy that fits on the, the – both the heads-up decoy can stick on your bow and the Ultimate Predator decoy can stick on your bow. Ultimate Predator Decoy, what I like about that one is – if you are the type of person that wants a more aggressive style or you're going to be moving in or spot and stalk or moving towards that animal, that decoy is awesome for that uh, style of hunting because you're moving and you're moving towards the animal. That style of decoy in a static fashion, sometimes, man, it'll just lock them up because the ears are not moving. A, a cow elk, when she's got, when her head is up, her ears are always moving. Her head's always moving unless she's alarmed. And so a lot of times they'll come in and they key on that. And if they don't see that movement, then something's wrong. That's why I say the elk butt decoy, if if you want a decoy. But 99.99% of the time, work to set up, ditch the decoy. Guys, uh, we've spent uh, Chris's year here for a little over an hour, and I appreciate your time, Chris. And uh, uh, I've got some other meetings here this uh, this afternoon. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Um, I'm getting a lot of good feedback on these Instagram lives. Uh, and, Chris, I just want to thank you for coming on. And uh, yeah. hopefully we'll get to chat again uh, before the season. But, you know, we're 18th. I'm yeah. leaving for the 31st for the Ot 6. So uh, we're, this, another season is upon us, 2021. I just uh, wish everybody out there the best of success and make sure to send Chris and I photos. Um, follow Chris on uh, Instagram, Row Hunting Resources. Make sure to check out the elk module. Uh, and guys, uh, again, thanks for everything. Chris, you got any final last thoughts? 
Uh, no, just everybody, you're, you're, you're right down to the wire now. It's the last little bit of, of getting things lined out. And for those, I saw more questions coming in, you know, people wanting to know, what about calling like this? What about calling like this? I know it's a selfless plug, but, I mean, geez, oh, Pete, get on the Elk module. It's 25 bucks for three months. You can have it right now. And there's, there's so much information that you can get legitimately right now that's going to change the fundamental success uh, your potential for success so it you're not too late just go rowhuntingresource.com just sign up for the elk module just get the 25 dollars one it's easy and then jump it just start a behavior and then jump into the cow vocalizations and then just take it step by step we've got a lot of video content in there yes but you can get a lot of information very very quickly and you're going to understand why I I don't necessarily play to testosterone, and it will answer so many people's questions. So just seriously, and then and then yeah, we can ask Jay questions, ask me questions, or whatever privately, DM whatever we want. We'll answer them what we can. But yeah, you've got time. You have time. So jump in there and dig it apart. Awesome. God bless everyone. Take care. All right, brother. Thanks, man. Guys, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you want to send me a direct message, you can do so on my Instagram account, which is at jscottoutdoors. You can also send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I appreciate all the feedback on the podcast, and I look forward to hearing from you. GoHunt.com Insider has filtering 2.0 where you can get draw odds, strategy articles, species and unit breakdowns, and unbelievable gear giveaways. Did you know that they actually have a point system where you get 11% back to the consumer for using points for every dollar spent? Also, a new addition is the mapping, Go Hunt Maps. You have the desktop version, you have the mobile version for iOS and for Android users. There's never been a greater value for the Go Hunt Insider. Check them out at gohunt.com forward slash jscott.